0: Have you ever asked yourself, like, why study the end times? Like, we've been going through the letters to the Thessalonians, but why study the end times? It's so confusing anyway. There's pre-mill and post-mill and pre-trib and mid-trib and post-trib. In fact, I had a guy one time said, listen, I don't even study the end times because I'm a pan-tribber. Like, a pan-tribber? What's a pan-tribber? He said, well, I think it's all going to pan out in the end well yes of course it is but the book of Thessalonians both first and second were the first letters written in the New Testament you may not realize that because it's so far deep into the New Testament but these were the first books written and when Paul arrived someplace he would like dig into theology and dig into the end times he felt like it motivated the Christian to have faith and hope and love today so we could take a pan trip view, who knows, or we could dig in and say what's Paul saying and how does that apply to what you and I do? I hope today that will be helpful for you to see the practical implications of getting into the details of when Jesus returns and how it applies to us today. Now the idea of Christ's return is something that's been used all through history. In fact, the Bible describes that when Christ returns, he'll return at the Mount of Olives. There's a sunrise or sunset right over the Mount of Olives. That this is the location Jesus will come and finally fix everything that's broken on this earth. And of this week has been tough. It's been a week filled with uncertainty and chaos on top of a year filled with uncertainty and chaos. And as you face the chaos of this world, whatever flavor it is, the American version of it, the Roman Empire version of it, Paul says, focus, fix your eyes, on the return of Christ as your real hope, your real confidence during times of anxiety. And the word he's going to use of the return of Christ is a word used by the Romans. This, for example, is Marcus Aurelius in a Roman triumph. And during a Roman triumph, the the emperor would come to town, but before he got to town, a group of delegates would go and meet him outside the town and return with him into the city this is the word and the concept paul picks up on when he describes the return of christ first a group of people go out and meet him the king and then he comes into town or to earth with them and that's why we've called this series live like there's no tomorrow when you know tomorrow you know god wins you know things get fixed you know justice finally reigns you know disease is finally gone and tears are wiped away you can live today like there's no unknown something i know about tomorrow now paul picks up on this in a couple of different ways let me show you how as we get into second thessalonians chapter two he digs down into this he begins in chapter one talking about grace in suffering, holding on to truths that God will repay the troublers. But then he picks up this new idea in chapter 2. He says, now, brethren, concerning, he's going to mention two things here, two f- pivotal ideas that he builds the rest of the theology of this chapter on. Concerning, number one, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, he then mentions an and, as if there's two separate events he's discussing here. And, separately, besides the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our gathering together with him. So, notice two things here. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him. He's making a distinction between when Christ returns to earth, the king comes to the city, finally and fully, And a time prior to that, different from that, distinct from that, when we are gathered, we, the Christians, our Christian gathering together to him. Huh. And he says these two ideas, the final return of Christ and the rapture or the gathering of us to him is what motivates us to ask you to do some things. Understanding this theology is the motivation for what we are going to ask you to do. Now, one of the reasons we as a church use the New King James Bible, for example, is the New King James Bible is a literal translation. Meaning the New King James works very, very hard to say, I want you to see that what the Greek does is what the English does. And so what we're outlining here in English It's very, very similar to the Greek. Because we're using not a dynamic equivalent like the NIV, we're not using a, a, a paraphrase like the message, by using a literal translation like the New King James Version, you're able to see the main points in English that actually existed in the Greek. And again, everything he's gonna say from this point on hinges on understanding these two ideas. Now, what are they again? Christ is going to return. The king's going to come and fix the earth, and he's going to gather us together with him. And Because of that, he's going to ask us to do some things. Now remember, in this series, I've been using this graphic back from a series we did in Revelation and Daniel to help give you a picture of what he's describing here in these two events. What do I mean? Well, one of the things he's saying here is that you and I need to understand that all of this theology isn't like, you know, Paul made it up. He got this from his understanding of Isaiah. And remember, we're reading the second letter to Thessalonians. He had a lot to say in 1 Thessalonians as well. Notice in Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus read these words when he announced himself as Messiah. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound. But don't miss this. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and. See the word and? And the day of vengeance of our God. You see, Jesus spoke of two different events in history time that he would come and he would proclaim liberty in the gospel, the good news, and a time in the future that he would bring justice, impartial justice upon the earth to deal with all of the wrongdoing. This theology traces back to the Old Testament. And when Paul was talking with the Thessalonians when he's teaching them how to have faith and hope and love he dug down into the rapture as one of the major teachings to give you hope when you're going through difficult times remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 if you don't let's look at it together for the lord himself will descend this is that gathering he'll descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and a trumpet of god and the dead in Christ, those who died but knew Jesus, will rise up from their graves and they will, they will meet him in the air. And they're going to they're gonna rise first. Then after they rise, the dead in Christ, we who are alive during the time of Christ's return shall be caught up together. See that phrase? Shall be caught up together. Captured. In the Latin, Rapturo we who are alive will be raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, meet our king in the air. Meet the king who's coming into town. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. And then he says, practical application. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, if Christ return was mid-trib or post-trib, it wouldn't be very comforting to discuss end times. Because he'd say, hey, guess what? No matter how bad it is right now, good news, it's about to get horribly worse for seven years. Comfort one another with those words. Right? That's why the pre-tribulational rapture makes sense. Things are bad now, but God is gonna capture you, and you're gonna be with him forever. Before he has another purpose in bringing a seven-year period of time of tribulation on the earth to bring about justice and to turn his people who've rejected him back to himself. Now let's look at that graphic together. Remember, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord includes all kinds of stuff. It includes a rapture. It includes the bema seat of Christ. It includes the return. It includes tribulation. And it includes a a thousand-year reign of Christ and eventually a new heavens and new earth. But if we zoom in, let's look specifically at the pieces we're looking at. During this seven-year period of tribulation, it's divided into two sections. The tribulation, three and a half years, and the great tribulation, the second three and a half years. And it seems very clear that the Thessalonians think they missed the day of the Lord. They missed the gathering because they're in the great tribulation. That's their fear. Paul's saying, you didn't miss it. You're not in the great tribulation. But think about this for a moment. If having been taught by Paul, they were taught a post-tribulational rapture, why would they be concerned? Right? You wouldn't be concerned that you'd missed it if you thought it was coming at the end. It's only because of their understanding of First Thessalonians 4 that the rapture comes first, that they're concerned that the tribulation they're experiencing in Rome sounds an awful lot like the final tribulation that Paul unpacked. That's why Paul says, listen, you haven't missed it. It is bad now. There's going to be a lot of times in history it's bad. But it's just a mirror or it's just an echo maybe of the final tribulation, the great tribulation to come. So again, that's why this whole idea is speaking to the idea that what Paul taught is that there is a rapturo of the church, a gathering that's separate from getting our rewards and separate from returning with him at the end of the tribulation to reign with him on earth. All right, so he's going to unpack these two ideas with three applications. Let's look at the first one. The first one is he says, don't be shaken or troubled. Don't be shaken or troubled. Now, what does it mean to be shaken or troubled? Well, look what he says. Now, brethren, concerning these two events, we ask you not to be shaken. So he's gonna ask a couple different things, but the first thing he asks is, don't be shaken in mind or troubled either. Okay, what do you mean troubled either? Well, don't be troubled by spirit if there is a spirit that comes to you, I'm from God, but tells you something different than what we've told you, don't be shaken by that. Don't be troubled by that. Don't be shaken or troubled by word. There were a lot of people teaching things contradictory to what Paul had brought them. Also, there were people who were impersonating Paul. They had sent some letters. This letter is from Paul. And Paul's like, even if the letter says it's from me, do not be shaken by that. Do not be troubled by that. Whether it's a spear that tells you that, a word that tells you that, or a counterfeit letter that tells you that. As though, as though what? What's this all about? Don't be shaken as though the day of Christ had come. Now let's look at two words here. The word shaken and the word troubled. What does it mean to not be shaken or troubled? Now the word shaking is something that happens to you right? The shaking. Think of uh, picking up an ant farm, maybe, and you shake it up and all the ants are like, whoa, what's going on here? There are events that occur in your life that shake you and you didn't cause them. You're not to blame for them, but they affect your life. And there's a lot of people who have been shaking up the Thessalonians with news. And maybe you felt shaken by the news or the lack of news of our election Have you been shaken by a health report? Shaken by an audit? Paul says, I don't want you to be shaken by the things that happen in this world. Nor do I want you to be troubled. There's, There's two events here. Shaken is something that happens to you, but troubled is how you magnify or how you think about what happened to you. It's like there's the event, and then there's how you think about the event. Do you magnify it? You catastrophize it. And you might say, well, I got good reason. I feel like a a spirit told me this. The Holy Spirit told me to be anxious. That's not the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit told me uh, because I got this letter. I read something that I think is from God. Whatever you've read, whatever you've heard, Paul says, I want you to not be shaken or to magnify or to catastrophize what you have heard by being troubled, by thinking about that thing and making it worse. Now his context specifically is, they thought the day of the Christ, Christ's return, Christ's millennial kingdom, Christ's rapture, somebody said, you missed it. So don't be troubled by that. So what does it look like for you and I, not to be shaken, and also not to magnify it by being troubled? It's been very interesting over the last year. Last year about this time, I got some, just terrible news it may not feel terrible if you're not a special needs parent but I had finally after eight years of working on systems finally found a system that was sustainable Quinn being in a school system some child care at home some insurance-based help with all of his special needs and just a whole team and I finally felt like I can relax I can rest I cannot be overwhelmed Then I get a phone call, and in one phone call, all of a sudden, two-thirds of all my support for Quinn disappeared. My wife was undergoing a second back surgery at the time, so I was trying to work. I was trying to care for Quinn, trying to care for my wife, and I just had enough systems to kind of make it survivable. One phone call, everything was shaken. In fact, I was so devastated, I got off the phone, and I just sat in my car and wept. I looked up (laughs) to heaven, I guess. Or at least I looked up to the top of my car and I'm like, God, you've got to be kidding me. Really? I finally find a way to survive and really, it all falls apart, everything I've worked for? And I'm just sitting in my car, just can't believe it. I I just can't believe it. Then I began to be troubled, right? I was shaken, it was bad news, but I began to be troubled. This is never gonna change. I'm not gonna make it. I am so alone in this. I'm so overwhelmed in this. Now fast forward a year. If anything, COVID has made the complexities of my life even more difficult, but God has been so faithful in ways I never could have seen a year ago in providing help and support. And even when COVID shook and shook and shook every aspect of the support systems I had and the needs I had, I found myself anxious and yet choosing to trust, choosing not to be troubled. And this week I got one of those phone calls almost a year to the date from my phone call last year. Suddenly Quinn's school had to close this week and I lost, 60% 60% of my support. Several of my caregivers at home are, are questionable when they can continue to help. And you know what? I was, I guess you can say that I'm proud of myself. Or maybe another way to say it is I recognize the growth God had done in me because I didn't get off the phone and weep, although I felt like it. I said, God, I'm gonna trust that you have a plan for the future just like you did last year. And I found myself not catastrophizing. I found myself not rolling those lies in my head I'm alone, I'm not gonna make it, how dare you, you gotta be kidding me. Instead, saying, God, I'm gonna trust you that what was a surprise to me was not a surprise to you. That's what Paul wants for all of us. Whatever we're shaken by, do not be troubled. But he goes on and says a second thing. Now, what's the second aspect that he gives, Uh, the second thing we need to work on or or look at as we we dive into this? Well, again, his first application was, you know, not to be shaken. But the second one is, don't let anyone deceive you. Meaning there's somebody actively trying to make you believe something that's not true. And the truth we gave, the doctrine we gave is, is to help you be equipped to not be deceived. Now, where's that in the passage? Well, he builds on this idea, and he builds on it in several ways. Remember, he asks you, in light of Christ's coming, in light of his gathering, number one, we ask you not to be shaken or troubled. Then he says, second thing we ask you is to let no one deceive you. We don't want anyone deceiving you about the day of the Lord or about anything that's true in the Bible. Let no one deceive you. And again, he gives a whole long list. By any means, just like we mentioned before, don't be shaken, uh, don't be deceived, by any means. Why? For that day will not come unless certain things happen. So he's saying there are very specific things you can learn about, meditate on, look for, to know if that day, the day of the Lord, has come. And so you can be anchored in the truth. Does this sound like, hey, it's all going to pan out, don't worry about it? No, he's saying, I want you to know these things. I want you to understand these things. I want you to understand God's plan, his meta narrative, his purpose of time, so that you, in one moment of time, won't be so anxious and overwhelmed or so easily deceived. Now, look at this word deceived here. It's really fascinating if you talk to those in the Secret Service or those in the FBI who try and study for forgeries, say, well, how do you recognize uh, a bill that's been forged? I mean, you must just all day long look at all the different types of forgeries. They say, that's not how we do it at all. The way you recognize what's a deception is you stare at, you study, and you meditate on what true currency looks like. See, the more you fix your eyes on what is true, you study it, you feel it, you understand it, you see what's on the outside, what's embedded on the inside, you so know the genuine article that when someone brings a counterfeit, you're like, uh, no, doesn't feel right, doesn't smell right, doesn't have the hologram inside, doesn't have the right serial numbers. So this idea is the more you want to keep from being deceived you focus on the truth, right? That's why Paul's so deep in the doctrine here. When you understand the things that are true about you, the things that are true about the world, the things that are true about God, when you meditate on that, when you understand that, and you keep yourself fixed on Jesus, you can recognize deception when it comes by any means. About the end times, God's not really coming. He's not really gonna help. It's not, are going to come through for you now. No, no, no. The promises of God is that he is true. That's one of the reasons we as a church are so committed to teaching people doctrine, right? The reason the Bible is so important, the reason we go verse by verse through the Bible is because we want to meditate, ruminate on the truth. And one of the ways we teach here is verse by verse through the Bible. And and that's our mission, right? To comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. We teach the gospel, so you can recognize the difference between the gospel and, and legalism or moralism, antinomianism. The law matters, but it doesn't rescue you, it just diagnoses your problem. It's one of the reasons we go verse by verse through the Bible to study the hard passages, the difficult passages. The reason we have two environments in our church is because we want to teach 20-year Bible veterans how to deeply sink their teeth into the Bible. And, besides just discipleship, we are deeply committed to evangelism. Creating a space at our exploring service that you can invite your friends who may not know God. They might be curious, they might be skeptical, but where can they come and have reasonable dialogue about what the Bible says? And that's why doctrine and truth is something that we are so deeply committed to. We want to know the truth. The reason during COVID we continued to offer two services online and then we reopened, right? We believe that kids need doctrines. We opened our children's ministry coming this weekend, we believe our student ministry. Students need to know the truth. And so yes, it's been difficult and it's been challenging. We've had to adapt and be flexible, but we are so committed to helping people know the truth because Jesus said only the truth can set you free. it's not just so we kind of get spiritually fed so we can help others. Now that certainly includes our friends, but also includes our community. In fact, during this season, we've set up our giving tree. And part of setting up our giving tree is giving ways that you and I can give to those needs in our community. If you haven't been into the building, you can call in, but we have ornaments hanging on the tree by the front door. And there's places you can give to help bring the truth of Christmas to those in inter-parish ministries who just need food. To bring food or gift to those down at City Gospel that we work with. With back-to-back ministries, there's opportunities to serve there and our partners in Belize. You see if you get our vision our vision is about evangelism and discipleship equipping and exploring it's about teaching doctrine it's about digging verse by verse in the bible it's finding any way and every way we can to create environments for kids and students and tents and online services because we we know truth matters and maybe as you've been in this series you're saying what can i do and maybe you're ready to come back and you just want to start coming back to services Maybe you're saying, what can I do? And you wanna give financially so we can continue to bring the truth to people. You wanna to give to Horizon, and say, I wanna be part of just thanking God for how he's helping me not be shaken or troubled during this time. Maybe you wanna help out with the new volunteer positions as we've reopened our second service and now children's ministry and student ministry. How can I help? What can I fold? What can I hand out? And how can I do it safely? We need your help because we are committed to not letting anyone be deceived but by studying and meditating on the truth. Now there's a third thing he mentions. Now this is a little bit more subtle, it's a little bit more indirect, but he goes on to talk about how he wants them to not fear the falling away. Now, it's not his two main points, it's like a a sub point. It's a sub point of what to look forward to, kind of a bad way of what happens before the return of Christ, something he calls the falling away. Now I'm gonna talk more about that next week What is the falling away? What does it mean to fall away? But here's what he says. There's things to look forward to um, that you'll know that the, the day of the Lord hasn't come. Don't let anyone deceive you by any means for the day of the Lord is not gonna come unless a couple things happen. And we're gonna dig deep down into this next week. But two things. Number one, before that day comes, there needs to be what he calls the falling away comes first. Now this doesn't mean as a Christian, hey, I broke some promises, I did some things I promised I wouldn't, I, I was in sin, I slid back. We all do that. He's describing an almost global sense of which people who call themselves Christians, when they start really hearing the truth of the Bible, they fall away from that. It's too hard, it's too difficult to be a follower of Christ. Were those Christians that lost their salvation? Well, We'll talk about that in a moment. But he says, whatever this falling away is, it's got to happen. This kind of a global sense in which people who call themselves followers of Jesus pull back from Jesus prior to that day. Then he says, and something else needs to happen. It's not going to come unless the falling away and the man of sin is revealed. Now, Now, who's this man of sin? He also calls him the son of perdition. And we'll describe a little bit about that next week. Let's talk about falling away. What does it mean to fall away? And why should you and I not fear the falling away? What do I mean when I say you and I? If you right now believe Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died for you, that he forgave you, and that you need forgiveness, then you're a follower of Jesus. And as you grow, you say, because of what he did for me, I want to increasingly learn how to obey him. Right? That's a Christian who's moving toward discipleship. And discipleship goes up and down at times. But what makes you a Christian is believing that Jesus died for you, paid for your sins, and you're trusting him with your life. And if you believe that and if you know that, you don't have to fear the falling away. What he's describing here is a group of people who've checked out Christianity. They like the parts they like, but they don't like the parts they don't like. And so he's not describing Christians who've fallen away meaning they were Christians and now they're not Christians. he's more talking about people who were interested in Christianity until it got too hard. And they're like, you know, I'm not sure I really believe that because I'm not willing to trust God the way he's requiring. Let's dig into that a little bit. What do I mean by digging into that? Well, you can kind of fall off this thing in multiple directions. The Bible describes the the armor of God like a suit of armor and it says we're given the helmet of salvation right the deliverance so think of this as getting to heaven right the helmet of salvation if you can always lose this thing so many Christians like I got it I don't have it I got it I don't have it I lost it I I don't know if I have it I think I have it I'm not sure if I have it and you can spend your whole Christian life wondering if you're really a Christian now there's a place to ask yourself as Paul says to check and see if you're in the fold Have you ever come to a place that you've trusted Christ as your forgiver and leader? If you haven't, you don't need to be all anxious that you're going to fall away right here and right now. Just say, God, I trust you. I trust you died on the cross for me. I receive you into my life. I need your help because my good works aren't good enough. Amen. If you do that, you're a Christian. And now I want to grow as a Christian. You don't need to fear falling away. There are times we're carnal, times we drift away. But here's why a Christian can rest in the confidence that you're in God's hand. That you're not always fiddling with the helmet of salvation. Instead, you can pull up the other aspects of the armor, the shield of faith and the the sword of the spirit and the belt of truth. It's an acronym I use, or more like a a sentence. These are the scriptural teachings that you are secure in Christ. The power of of love will promise grace the power of god john 10 when 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 god has you nothing can snatch you out of his hand nothing and you're not more powerful than god when god has you even if you let go you're not going to be snatched out of his hand that is confidence i know that i'm not going to fall away because my dad has me the power of love Romans chapter 8 says this. He says, nothing can separate you from love of God. Not height, nor depth, nor width, nor depth. Not any other created thing. And you and I are a created thing. When you're in Christ, you're in in a love that you cannot be separated from. Not even a created thing like yourself could separate you from God's heart. The power of love will. The will of God, John chapter 6. The will of God is that Jesus says, everyone that the Father gives to me His will is that I would raise them up on the last day and that I would lose nothing. You see, if Christ could lose one of us, he'd no longer be doing his Father's will. And if Christ isn't doing his Father's will, he's not a perfect sacrifice. Jesus ties his identity, his perfection, to his ability to raise every one of us up who the Father gives to him power of love will promise the promise of god first john says this is the testimony that you can know you have eternal life if you got the son you got the life you don't have the son you don't have the life these things have i written to you that you might know you have eternal life if you can lose it you're never going to know i think maybe i wish hopefully you can know you have eternal life because you're not secured by your works your obedience but by his work and his obedience the power of love will promise grace grace ephesians 2 8 and 9 it's by grace you've been saved not by works lest anyone should boast it's a gift of god it's by grace that you become a christian and it's not by works that you undo being a christian no the grace of god secures us now that's not to say that we shouldn't be concerned about some things right meaning when you live uncharacteristically to God's spirit, he's going to convict you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to push back on you. There's going to be a way in which you lose future rewards at the Bema seat. You're going to feel the discipline and conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's going to hound you when you're not living obediently. But he's going to do it from a place of saying, you're my son and you're my daughter and that's why I'm pursuing you. So as a Christian, don't fear the falling away, but do pursue the God who pursued you and ultimately who's going to fix the world. So three applications here, right? Uh, third one like I said is a little bit a little bit um not his direct one. His two main ones were not be shaken, not be troubled, not be deceived and then indirectly uh, don't fear the falling away. So what's the application for us? What's he getting at here? Well, I think to go back to the very beginning. He says, "I want you with fellow Christians during times of shaking and times of of troubling. To gather together, to worship together, to meditate on truth together. And one of the truths I want you to think about when life is uncertain and being shaken, one of the things I want you to, to meditate or fix your eyes on during difficulty is gather together in confidence of being gathered to Christ. The hope that God's gonna one day fix this crazy world. We gather together, we worship, we commune. We put our hope in that. You have someone, a relative, who's going through difficult times, sickness, pain. Maybe they're headed toward death. You gather together and focus on the promise that Christ is the resurrection and the life. In fact, this idea was mentioned in the book of Hebrews, right? In Thessalonians, he says, now here's what I want you to meditate on. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, think about it, and the gathering together with him, I want you to use the gathering or the rapture of Christ as something to motivate you when you worship and gather together. And Hebrews picked up on this, right? He said, let us consider one another in order to stir up love. Maybe you've never been in a small group. someone who could call you and say, let me stir up some love when you're going through difficulty. And good works. Let's keep serving people who disagree with us. Not forsaking the assembly of gathering together. That's why we're having online services and tent services and chapel services. We don't want to forsake the gathering together so we can meditate on truth and hope during this time. As is the manner for some, but exhort one another, encourage one another, build one another up as much and more as you see the day approaching. So again, he says, as the day approaches. Now that's the same idea, right? The day of the Lord is what motivates us to gather together, to meditate what's true. I think what's powerful is to remember not to be shaken, but you gotta gather together. You need other people to speak into your life, not to be deceived. You need other people to keep you from being deceived. The reason the rapture, the hope of the day is so powerful is because it reminds us of what's true. When best grandfather finally passed away after a battle with Alzheimer's, I remembered all those conversations we had with him about the coming of Christ. The rapture of Christ, when the horn shall be blown and the dead in Christ will rise up. And and that was the idea in a Jewish worship service. There would be this horn that would be blown and God says there will be an ultimate horn blown. And those who've died in Christ have lost their ability to eat, have lost their ability to, to remember everyone. In that day, they will be restored. In the same way I restored my son's body when he died. And he was raised up with a brand new body that could eat could hug eat fish and eat honeycomb i'll do the same to you so i pray that as you gather together with us as a church online in the chapel in the tent serving together volunteering down in our children's program that you're committed to what we're committed to meditating on the truth of christ and the hope of his return that he would transform our bodies and that whether we we got relatives that are going through difficulty or we're going through difficulty we know the only hope of the world is jesus the creator coming back to realign what's broken in this world let's pray together father thank you for your love thank you for your hope and we pray for your return in jesus name Amen.